This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Oh, here he comes. And his opponent, being accompanied toward the ring by his manager, Bobby the Brain. Leading the way, my colleague, Bobby, Bobby the Brain Heenan, once again just walking out of the broadcast position here, whatever he feels like it, doing his own thing. Leading down around the sheet of Rick. Seems to have a lot of followers here in Louisville. Got a brand new robe, it's a beauty. A lot of money tied up in that. Simply ravaging. Got a tremendous physique, no doubting that, no questioning that. I question some of the other things he does. She's all excited. Oh, the music. Oh. Got that telephoto lens. What I'd like to have right now is for all you fat, ugly, Louisville losers. Can't talk about heated like that. Keep the noise down while I take my robe off and show the ladies the sexiest man alive. Hit the music. I'm sure a lot of people would beg to differ with him on that particular subject, but there it is. He's cut up. No question about that. She thinks so as well. You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich. This is episode 103, and it's about the themes of Ravishing Rick Rude. And I'm joined today for the first time by this man. He's a contributor from Voices of Wrestling. It's Liam Byrne. Hello, Liam. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Uh, looking forward to exploring and talking about uh, the music of Rick Rude. Um, you know, big big fan of him. He was sort of a wrestler from my from my childhood. So uh, yeah, should be exciting times. Yeah, I'm glad you're on here. Definitely. Um, congrats on the new baby, by the way. Oh, um, you thank know, you, Papa Liam over here. Uh, is this uh, this is your first kid or what? Um, I've I had a child when I was uh, 16. Um, I'm Whoa. now 34, so therefore it's my second child, but very very different. Very, yeah, very different circumstances. Um, but yeah, so it's, my, I've been married to my wife for six years now, and this is our first child together. So he is. Oh, 12 weeks tomorrow. So still very young. It just means that basically um, sleep deprivation is a, is a genuine thing that happens. <laughs> and I occasionally will launch into a story and my brain is not working as fast as my lips are. So you sort of lose track of where you're going. But yeah, it, 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 it's enjoyable. It's fun. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's lovely. 
Yeah, well, uh, again, congrats. Uh, it seems like, you know, the VOW dad club is just growing all the time. All these new babies popping up. Um, so, you know, we're, we're establishing the next generation of jaded wrestling fans, I guess. <laughs> yeah, my, my hope was basically it's been, been hard to sort of keep up with the, doing the reviews and the uh, articles that I do. Um, my hope was basically that I might be able to sort of get him into wrestling quite soon. So therefore he can just, you know, watch the 80s wrestling I'm watching uh, as, I, as I go along, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe uh, let him take over for you sometime, you know, have, have him write the articles for you. See what happens oh, there. <laughs> not, 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 not a bad idea. Since it's your first time on the show here, Liam, I'll ask you this. Uh, how did you become a wrestling fan? Um, I don't remember a time when I didn't have some interest in wrestling, uh, although I have no idea where it came from. Um, I just remember having uh, VHS um, tapes. I remember having toys. Uh, as I said, I'm 34, so um, you're looking at maybe sort of the last 30 years or so. I do, I'm do. i from the UK, so um, we had probably quite limited access to, to different um, yeah, promotions and, 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 and TV shows. So my first kind of real knowledge of watching on TV was um, in uh, as I were on ITV when they show WCW so I watched a bit of that when I was when I was younger but also actually was um Eurosport used to show um like uh, British commentary over the top of New Japan wrestling so when I was that when I was when I was younger I, I sort of really you know I, loved, I fell in love with like Jushin Liger and Shinya Hashimoto but I also had a, a weird sort of fascination with Tony Harm like Ludwig Borger because apparently he was quite good at that time therefore he got quite, quite a lot of uh, promotion in the um, English sort of version of New Japan basically Wow, yeah. Similar to me, actually. I mentioned before on the show that my intro to Japanese wrestling was a local TV show that did English commentary over Japanese wrestling matches. Um, American guys, of course, but uh, still, you know, pretty cool that are, you know, similar roots in Japanese wrestling there, Liam. Yeah, I think I went back and had a look at, little look at some of the episodes and, and, and what was being promoted as like the thing to watch was just very, very, um, it was miles away from actually who were the big wrestlers at that time, it seemed. Apart from, as I said, you know, Jushin Liger and Shinya Hashimoto got quite a lot of time. So, um, yeah, it was, it, was a, it was a weird, it's a weird window into promotion for a different audience. Mm -hmm. And um, has music played a big part in your fandom at all? One of the things I had to think about when you invited me on, I, I, I think it has, but not consciously. Like, um, it's it's so important to what creates an interesting and good. You know, most of the best wrestlers um, that you know you enjoy as you grow up. It's you know something about the gimmick. It's about the way they wrestle, but also sort of encapsulated within that is 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 the music. Um, and and whilst I maybe you know, I had my favourite themes, I didn't necessarily overthink that. Um, if you had a wrestler with a bad you know, bad music choice, it was noticeable, it was jarring, it's something that stood out. And it did, it, it was detrimental to like my enjoyment of them. And I think also their general um, perception to other wrestling fans, I would argue. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that this show has, has proven time and time again. It's that, you know, you can be a great wrestler, a great talker, but if you don't have good theme music, it can be maybe not damaging overall per se, but perhaps real letdown. Whereas you can be a mediocre wrestler, a mediocre talker, but... If you've got a banger entrance theme, it won't be a fix-all, but it can certainly help you a little bit in terms of perception with some people, um, at least in that one regard, anyway. Yeah, it gets you part of the way there already, doesn't it? And that's the thing, like, um, you know, if you're if you're, if you're pumping up the crowd or, or they're amped to see you or you have, like, you know, a, a refrain or a moment within a song that people, you know, want to hear, um, you've got them on board already. Um, and obviously, you know, you can go a long way to, 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 to losing them in the course of your match and, and, and your character. But, um, you know, you, you've done half the battle almost at that point. Right, right. Well, uh, today, Liam, uh, as I said, we are looking at the themes of the late, great, ravishing Rick Rude. 
And uh, the reason why we're doing Rick Rude's themes now is because on the last episode, I did some romantic sexy themes with Stephanie Chase. And when I was preparing for that episode, the first guy I thought of naturally was Rick Rude. Um, the problem, though, is that Rick Rude has had just a bunch of sexy romantic themes in his career, um, as this episode will attest to. Uh, so, you know, I was going back and forth. Do I pick this one? Do I pick that one? And then I figured, you know what? Let's just make it easier. Leave Rick Rude out of the romantic themes episode and do a separate episode that's just about him. And uh, here we are, Liam. Yeah, I mean, music's so so central to like, especially, uh, you know, to what he would become in the WWF. Um, I think it's kind of quite good that you have isolated him because, you know, it was, you know, his character was all about, you know, not just, I mean, he can wrestle, of course, but like the look, the physique, the the the, the attire, the music, it was all so much um, a part of what made him so, uh, you know, good to watch at that time. Yeah. And the reason I picked you, Liam, for this is because from what I know about you, your articles on VOW, your specialty is talking about older wrestling, you know, wrestling in the territory days, 80s, 90s. And that was obviously Rick Rude's heyday. And you actually wrote an article for VOW about Rick Rude where he did like a brief face turn in Memphis back in the day that uh, unsurprisingly did not work because he had just spent all this time being this, you know, horrible, gigantic asshole heel and uh, being abusive towards his valet angel. So it was uh, quite the head scratcher there, Liam. Yeah, it was one of those ones where um, people always talk about like, oh, you know, career heels or career faces and like who's done that. And most people sort of do move around and, and, and Rude uh, often gets like tarred, say tarred, but I like, gets kind of labelled as like a career heel. And it's interesting that actually at the start, especially um, he started in Mid-South as a kind of a job to the stars and he was kind of a, a de facto face there. And then he went to to Memphis and was, as you said, you know, an arrogant heel, um, you know, a, a darker character in some ways than what he'd become because there was um, his treatment of his valet was particularly bad. There were there was a, a, an angle about him potentially physically abusing her, that sort of stuff. And then towards the end of his run they just decided that they'd give him and it was about three weeks only and they gave him a, a face run and it just, it just never worked it never you know you've built up this person as you know a horrible person and then you're like oh no cheer for them for a few weeks and and, and and to be fair before he left they turned him heel before they before he left because they were like it's just, it's just not working we can get one more match probably out of Lawler and him and then we'll leave it there kind of thing yeah as someone who never saw that and as someone who was only known about Rick Rude after his death it is hard for me to picture him as a good guy at all because the whole ravishing gimmick and his character traits and all his classic moments, like they all tie into him being a heel. You know, this this vain, arrogant, macho guy who rubs his good looks in your face and insults the crowd and cheats and all that stuff. Like, you know, his name is Rick Rude, for God's sake, okay? Like, it's in the name right there. He can't be a good guy at all. No way. Um, and as well, it's hard to picture him as a face because... He was just so good at being bad. He was a great bad guy, in addition to being a really good wrestler. But I think Rude is, like you said, one of those guys where he was good in the ring, but the character stuff, his personality, that always comes first in people's minds, um, at least to me, Liam. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It, it's the character was a, was as I said a darker take perhaps on the Rick Rude character because of the, the sort of the valet stuff. But um, but basically, it wasn't a million miles away from the character he would have in WCC in, in world class in, in JCP in WWF in, in WCW in 1990. Um, so he was kind of fully formed already. So if you imagine that sort of fully formed character and and wanting people to cheer for it, it just is never going to work. Right, right, and and the great irony is that. For someone whose name is Rick Rude, uh, both in wrestling and in real life, 
His real name is Rick Rude, R-O-O-D. He was actually a really devoted family man who just loved his wife and kids so much and would do anything for them, which just goes to show how good he was at portraying this character that was, you know, by all accounts, so different than who he was, Liam. Yeah, it's one of those things, like, you say that, yeah, I think I read this online, so I'm, I'm assuming this is correct. But if I remember rightly, he used to wrestle with his wed- wedding ring on still, but he used to tape it up. So, like, or, you know, so he didn't, like, get caught or, or lose it. But, like, obviously, he was he was so in love with his wife that, you know, he didn't want to take it off even when he's wrestling, which is, yeah, it's so funny because he is so good at what he, did, he does. You'd imagine maybe he was that sort of person, but obviously, uh, clearly not. Yeah, I heard that he was also like a legit badass too, like just a real honest-to-goodness tough guy as well, which is cool. Um, also, huge pothead, apparently. He uh, he loved the ganja, did Rick Rude. Um, I think Stone Cold once said that he would roll blunts as big as cigars. That's a lot of weed, Liam. <laughs> it does sound like it. I've not, not something I'd ever heard, actually. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it might, might make sense, to be fair, to sort of calm you down if you're someone who's on the road so much and kind of, you know, and and, and and almost explain away perhaps some of his uh, more, I'd say, say positive traits, but, like, um, you know, it's, it's a high it's a high pressure, high tension situation to to be a wrestler. So, yeah, no fair play, you know. Do, you do what you got to do to keep you going, I guess. Yeah. So let's get to these themes here, and uh, we'll do something similar that we did on the Big Show episode from last month, where we'll cover the main themes of Rude's career, the ones that people know best, um, but some of the lesser-known ones, or the ones that aren't as important overall, we'll still mention those, but um, at a glance. Okay, that sounds good to me. So Rick Rude started his career in 1982. Uh, He wrestled for Mid-Atlantic, Continental, Jim Crockett, CWF. He became ravishing Rick Rude in 84 with managers like Jimmy Hart and Percy Pringle III, but it wasn't until 1985 in World Class when he got his first theme song, and he would have this theme in World Class, Crockett, and the very early days of his WWF run. It's by Sade off the album Diamond Life. This is Smooth Operator. done a few episodes before about real songs from the territories with Jeff Hawkins, and we talked about songs that worked and songs that didn't work. This song, I think, undoubtedly works. I mean, this is a smooth, 
jazzy, soulful number with the saxophone, the keyboards, the bongos. It's about a devious lover, this smooth operator with girls from coast to coast, and he melts all your memories and change into gold. His eyes are like angels, his heart is cold. That's Rick Rude to a T, this sexy romantic bad guy. So this song it just works so well for Rick Rude, especially, as you mentioned, Liam, since they toned down the more abusive side of the character. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, so it's a perfect choice for for, for a heel, I think, uh, at this time. Because for me, uh, and again, it, it might be me just sort of forgetting some of the more obvious choices in some ways, but the, 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 the real music given to people in the territory days tended to be face wrestlers getting often, you know, rock, rock songs that were there to pump the crowd up and, you know, get people behind them. So to have, firstly, a, a guy who's a heel, um, but also, you know, clearly not a rock tune. You know, it's very, very soulful, very, very kind of silky and appealing. But obviously, with that, the, you know, so the lyrics are kind of uh, sell the idea of him being this malevolent kind of lover. Um, yeah, it's brilliant. It just it's designed to get under your skin. Like when it comes on, and then Rick Rude comes out, and he has you know the look and and the physique, and he hadn't yet got to the point where he was you know maybe on the mic so much saying how good he was. Oh, I say that in Memphis, he did do a bit of the you know the sort of telling people how ugly and fat they. Were. Were, but it's all designed to build to this thing where you want him to get beaten. Not even get beaten, I mainly to get a punch in the face, I think, to be fair. Yeah, what's great about it is it doesn't just fit the character so well, but yeah, it also stands out amongst other themes of the time period. You know, think of the iconic theme songs of the era. It's Iron Man, it's Born in the USA, Hot Stuff, Eye of the Tiger, Freebird, and so on. Not all of them, but most of them are these rock anthems, these high-energy pop, metal, you know, power songs, oomph. Not this. This is soft, it's relaxing, it's lovely, not a lot of urgency to it either, so it's quite unique in that sense as both a heel theme and a theme in and of itself, Liam. Oh yeah, indeed. It, it makes him stand out amongst other people. Um, and, and again, you know, he would stand out probably anyway based on, you know, how kind of, how impressive he looked when he walked through the curtain, but that that song immediately you're like oh, okay that's rick rude you know i know what i'm gonna get here you know start booing basically so yeah it's um it's a good establishing point for him i think yeah it establishes not just the ravishing character of course for so much of his career but it also i think lays the foundation for many of his other theme songs the saxophone the female vocals the sexual overtones the raunchy overtones all those elements will be featured in later themes in some form or fashion. The tempo may be different, the style may be different, but none of the other songs that we'll cover in depth here are these crazy radical departures from this one, Liam. Yeah, it's one of those ones I would say um, there are songs, like this started um, off on a trend and, and, it, and it works really well, but sometimes what you have, I'd say, in the 80s, in particular with the, the guys who had the real music, their best song was the real song they had. And then and then everything else was like a bit of a pale kind of comparison. I would say that Rude's music got better. And it did, you know, when they moved away from this, it actually was uh, for his benefit, which is not always the case. Right, right. Plus, when he used it in World Class, it had this female intro stinger. Oh, Ricky, you're simply ravishing. Where did you come from? which is not only a great stinger, but some foreshadowing to his Simply Ravishing theme later on as well. So in the summer of 87, uh, Rude joined the WWF as the newest member of the Heenan family. He used Smooth Operator very early on, but in October, he got his first real proper WWF theme. It's by Jim Johnston, and it's called Ravishing.
So this song and the other WWF theme that we'll talk about next are based on a jazz song from the 60s called The Stripper by David Rose, which, as the name implies, evokes the music of a striptease with the big trombone slides, something evocative and and raunchy. And for Rick Rude, that's a great song to base a theme off of because the classic Rick Rude entrance was, of course, him coming out with the robe on and doing the whole... You know, what I'd like to have right now is for all you fat, out-of-shape sweat hogs, keep the noise down while I take my robe off and show the ladies what a real man looks like. Hit the music! And he would do the striptease. He would take off the robe, show off the body, swivel the hips, all that stuff. So that's perfect. The actual theme, though, I don't know. I'm not a big fan of this one. It does sound romantic and strippy and all that in a way, but it's also a bit... I don't know, antiquated and a little too, like, carnival fair-ish, Liam? What about you? What do you think? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I I didn't realise, just to go back to the first one, I didn't realise that he actually carried it into the WWF at all, so, like, there was a little bit of a crossover period. But as as his first um, real theme in in the WWF, uh, I wasn't a huge fan. It's It kind of does its job, you know, it is... I kind of went back to the stripper itself and listened to that, and that has that kind of arguable sexiness. I mean, it's a bit... Uh, it's sort of cliche and a bit camp, but it does have a sexiness about it. Well, this, to me, sounded a bit like circus music over and above anything else. I couldn't get past that, um, especially because uh, in the UK, the, sh- the stripper, the song, is used a lot in comedy. So therefore, like that itself kind of, I, I found it hard to take it particularly seriously beyond kind of, you know, yeah, it just sounded a bit laughable in some ways. Yeah, it sounds like music you would hear at like a senior citizen dance uh, in a supper club or whatever, right? I mean, it just, it doesn't go far enough over the top with the raunchy or seductive overtones that I think it should with a character like Rick Rude, who is so arrogant and over the top about his good looks. Like it should be a little more ostentatious, right, Liam? Yeah, no, I I, I agree. I think um, what we'll see with the the second song that um, they did for him uh, in house production wise, um, it, it, yeah, it lacks that kind of exuberance over the top kind of like you said the raunch element that you maybe want from this. Um, to be fair, and it, it, I just find it really really interesting as well that um, obviously he's not a stripper character necessarily, but the WWF do, do seem to forever want to promote male stripper type characters either by their looks or by their music because they had Brutus Beefcake when he debuted had this sort of stripper gimmick and then obviously Rick Rude has a song based on the stripper and then arguably I mean Shawn Michaels kind of gimmick seemingly at the start well after the Rockers was kind of you know male stripper-esque so it seems to be a a, a kind of a common theme that they come back to uh from time to time yeah I mean later on Val Venus who was a porn star but he came out with a towel on and wiggling around all sexy and whatnot like a stripper does like you know the vain braggadocio look at me look how good I look character has been done a million times in wrestling. I know that. But the specific stripping aspect of it, you can definitely see Rick Rude as a real catalyst, at least in WWE, for those kind of gimmicks later on. That's for sure. Um, I mean, he once did an actual strip dance on the Slammy Awards that one time. So, you know, there you go. So towards the beginning of 88, Rude got a new theme song. And uh, this one would last until the end of his WWF run. In October of 1990, so that includes stuff like the Jake Roberts feud, the Ultimate Warrior feud, the IC title runs. So basically all of his most prominent moments during that time period here. This one also by Jim Johnston. I don't think it has an official name, so I just called it the Stripper WWF version. 
All right, baby, here we go. This is what I'm talking about. Um, again, like with the previous song, you get the gist of the Rick Root character. It's striptease music, it's sexy and romantic. You still have the dun, 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 dun in there. But this cranks it up like 20 notches, thanks to that just amazing saxophone that is just blaring nonstop. Oh, it is just so raunchy and vivacious and in your face and smacking you over the head with its sexy overtones. Like, this is a proper Rick Root theme, Liam. Yeah, in my notes, I, I said in capital letters, this is the one. So this is the one that I, um, all my memories of Rude are tied to. Um, I, so when I was younger, as I said, I was, I was, I was watching wrestling. I had uh, WWF VHSs, so I had WrestleMania 4 and WrestleMania 6 and a few others as well. So it's kind of around the time, yeah, that's the time frame of when he was in the, in the promotion. So a lot of my memories of him as a wrestler kind of come from there. And, and it, to me, it, you talked earlier about sort of how important music is to a character, and it speaks volumes that this is the one he has at his, his in his biggest run. You could, I mean, you could argue how big his run is in WCW in the nineties, but you know, in terms of you know eyes on you know him, this is his biggest run, and it, it coincided with um, I would argue also like his strongest look generally. Because he'd gone from, you know, as I said, you know, the character was quite fully realised before the WWF. But what the WWF often used to do, and they did it with Jake Roberts as well, you know, a little bit before this, is they do trim certain parts, they trim the fat, so to speak, of, of a character. And and you know, so Jake, you know, he got he got his um, he got his snake, and he got the snakeskin trousers and things like that looked really good. And Rick Rude basically moved from, you know, obviously he was an impressive looking heel, but he had you know the airbrush tights and sort of the, you know, I think it may even. I can't remember if he did the wiggle before, but like he had, he had more of the the the, the heel mannerisms, and yeah, it, it did coincide with um, an upturn in his fortunes in in the ring. And he obviously had the the run with the IC title, um, and and I'm not saying the music was the thing that drove that necessarily, but it it, it can't be a coincidence that that was yeah you know, his best theme came at that time. Yeah, and it's not just the saxophone either. I love as well the drum roll at the very beginning. It's a little change. But it's so good because it adds a little extra bit of arrogance to the proceedings. Because it isn't just that the song starts and it's, oh, look at me, look how sexy I am. Now there's a buildup. Like the drum roll is an audio cue that says, everybody get ready for something amazing about to happen. And what is that something? It's Rick Rude coming out with his hair and his abs and biceps and robe and mustache looking all gorgeous. In his mind... He's what everybody came to see. So the drum roll makes the song just a little more cocky and arrogant. It's a stroke of brilliance, I think, Liam. Yeah, it's, it's, that, it's that audio cue we were talking about earlier, that, that sort of thing within a song, perhaps, that just kind of like, um, you know, sparks the crowd's interest in some ways. And yeah, like at this point, you know, the drum roll comes up and you think, okay, Rude's coming out. This is my chance to give him, you know, as much vitriol as I can. Um, I said, uh, sort of my, my notes. It's, it's just, it's just much more realised and fuller sounding than the original one. And and with with, with with that comes a more bombastic sound generally. And and it sounds more heelish. It just does. It's a, it's a, it's, it's yeah. It's, it's raunchier. It's louder. It's it's just um, you know. It's it's so funny. It's not a massive massive change between the two, but it is so much better. Yeah, like you said. The increased garishness of the theme works so much better for Root, I think, especially at this time where they're leaning harder into the garishness of the gimmick, where Root is picking women out of the crowd and kissing them and, and gyrating over them. And, of course, the famous segment where Root comes out with the picture of Jake Roberts' wife airbrushed onto his tights, where their face 
right over the crotch. So the choice to augment the theme song into this, you know, extra raunchy number was a good one because it worked better for Rude and his whole persona than the previous one did. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like You know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing, you know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network that man behind this mask is the only man that can crush the hopes of the little stingers until a man stands over the remnants of his career and says, Ashes to ashes! Dust to dust! Rest in peace, Stinger! Your career is over! Ladies and gentlemen, the next United States Heavyweight Champion, Ravishing Rick Rude! Wow! Is that incredible or what? What a coup! That's right, people! It's Ravishing Rick Rude! And anybody who knows Ravishing Rick Rude knows that all I care about is myself, my women, and my money! It just so happens 
that my money man has a problem with the World Championship Committee and the way he sees fit to solve this problem is to dismantle the WCW brick by brick. What better way, Mr. Dangerously, to start off than with a low-life scumbag like Sting? You know, Mr. Dangerously, a couple of questions come to my mind, being that I never had the opportunity to stand face-to-face -face with the Stinger. I'm kind of wondering if he's really as small as he looks on television. I'm kind of wondering if he is the low-life garbage-collected scumbag that he portrays on TV. Well, Sting, your days are numbered. I'm going to tear apart the WCW, and I'm going to take your United States title. So Rude leaves the WWF in late 1990, uh, bounces around a little bit, uh, wrestles in all Japan for a few months, and then in October of 91, he lands in WCW. But he wasn't brought in as Rick Rude initially. No, he was brought in at Halloween Havoc as the WCW Halloween Phantom with the very appropriate theme song, Takata and Fugue in D Minor by Bach. It's your typical spooky music that's been used a million times over the years. So we're like a, a goofy little thing like the Phantom. It's fine, Liam. Yeah, it's, it's, I just uh, when I had a little look at this, I'd never I'd, I'd read about the Halloween Phantom and his and the, 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 way, the way they debuted they debuted him, um, and I went back and actually watched it because I'd never seen it before. And it's just such a strange way to debut a new a new person, especially someone. You know, Rick Rude would have had name value at that time, and could have been someone you know you had you brought in in a much more exciting way. Because if I remember rightly, it sort of as as the show went on, Paul poorly dangerously Paul Heyman sort of just effectively got him to take his mask off and said, "Oh look, it's Rick Rude," um, and it just doesn't really make sense to me. But then WCW had some really weird booking choices at times, and and that seems to be one of them. What I love about the whole thing is that the Phantom has the mask and the cape and the hat, and it's like. Who is this mysterious man? And it could not be more obvious that it's Rick Rude. Like, you can see the mustache poking through the mask. You can see around his eyes, his mouth. And he wins his match with the Rude Awakening. Like, it's so blatantly him. And then, of course, afterwards, he unmasks as Rick Rude and joins the Dangerous Alliance. Uh, wins the U.S. title soon afterwards. Holds it for about 14 months. His first WCW theme he has for a year until November 92. It's by Georges Bedosian and Giles Papiri from the Cosinus Music Library. This is called Big Brother.
So compared to previous themes, this one does feel like an outlier, right? It's hard rock, not R&B or classic striptease music, no sexy saxophone here. It could still be a stripper song per se, just something you would hear in like a modern strip club as opposed to like back in the 50s, where now it's more about hard rock songs like Def Leppard or Motley Crue. And Rick Rude was still doing the whole stripping entrance in WCW, but I think in the pantheon of Rick Rude themes, I don't imagine this one to be the first that people think of right away, Liam. Funnily enough, it's, it's, it, so I obviously said uh, grew up watching WWF and, and saw Rick Rude through that, and then didn't really see much of him after that. And it's in recent years I've gone back and watched his time, mainly in sort of 91, 92 WCW. And so therefore I don't really link this to Rick Rude. I actually link this to the Dangerous Alliance as a whole, because whenever he came out um, or whether they came out, it seemed like this was the song they used. Um, it, it's fine. And, and I guess those those kind of connotations of, you know, I'm going to see the Dangerous Alliance and there's going to be a really good match or a good angle kind of mean something to me when I listen to it. But it's, it's just a bit generic. I just found, you know... It, it doesn't excite me. It doesn't really get anything out of me other than, you know, uh, me reminiscing or, you know, being nostalgic for, for, for the matches that he was in, really. Uh, I, mean, I, I mean, I guess that's something positive. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't have been particularly excited when it you know hit the sort of PA system uh, back in 1992. Well, this is actually based on a Janet Jackson song called Black Cat, which also has the growl at the beginning. And that song is about her warning her boyfriend to change his dangerous ways or things will end up badly. You're a rebel now. Don't give a damn. Always carrying on with the gang. I'm trying to tell you, boy, it's a mistake. You won't realize till it's too late. So you can make some connections to Rude and the Dangerous Alliance, perhaps. He's a bad guy. It's his gang and all that. But if you don't know the context of that song, then it's lost on you. And this is just another generic rock theme. Yeah, I think he was still doing so. I, I went back to double check this because I mentioned in my, in my when I looked at my notes basically that um, they have moved away from that overtly kind of stripper sexual nature of the song that you had in WWF. And I did go and have a look, but he still did do the pre-match strip. He still did do the you know the talk on the, the microphone, you know everything else that went on. Um, what I would say is that I do think WCW tried to present him more as a bit of a hard ass, kind of like you know he he was he was more physically imposing and impressive perhaps I felt in the way he was presented so maybe they were trying to move not weren't completely moving away from it of course because he was still kind of doing parts of it but they were trying to sort of just sell him as this kind of quite um quite a dangerous person more generally of course yeah I do kind of appreciate that they differentiated between WWF Rick Rude and WCW Rick Rude in this little way you know it's a new company a new chapter in his career he's still the same guy of course same basic character but He's got the short haircut now, a little more serious overall. So the breakaway from the classic striptease music into something that's a little bit different was, I think, on paper, a good move at least. Yeah, it's 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 funny as well, it, you because know, this, depending on how you sort of perceive the promotions, this is also a, a pretty significant run in his career because um, he was effectively as part of the Dangerous Alliance at the top of the card for a, for a long period of time. Um, so you know, it is a is it's an interesting kind of that, that it doesn't stand out more in some ways or it isn't remembered as fondly because, you know, he said it's probably his, you know, at least 
second best run of his career. And he was, you know, he, he was the linchpin of that group. And the group was, I mean, Danish Alliance as a stable is uh, you know, a great stable, but he was so fundamental to that. And his kind of, his character, his work with Medusa, his work with, um, you know, Paulie Dangerously, his feud with Sting in particular amongst it all, you know, it, it, it carried um, the promotion to a really strong, at least definitely the first half of 1992. It, it sort of tailed off towards the end, uh, to be fair. Yeah, he definitely had a lot more success in WCW because he wasn't just U.S. champion. He was also WCW International World Heavyweight Champion, which was this whole big thing that we just <laughs> don't have time to get into. But um, he definitely had greater accolades in WCW than he had before. That's for sure. And uh, his theme song during that time period he got at the end of 92 until, uh, well, the, the remainder of his in-ring career. In May of 94, uh, this theme is from the album WCW Slam Jam 1. It's by Jimmy Papa and the Grand Theft All-Star Band. This is Simply Ravishing. He's simply ravishing. So I love the second WWF theme, of course, but to me, this is the absolute peak of Rick Rude themes. I love this song with all my heart. The energy, the dancey, funky pop rock sound, the stinger, he's sippy ravishing. Ow! And of course, the cherry on top, the vocals. I mean, those vocals are really just to me what make the song work so well because they're just so powerful and soulful and fun. That's the key. This is a really fun song that is just so damn catchy as well. It's great, Liam. Yeah, I think I'm my, my, my sort of problem, I guess, is that I'm tied so much to like the WWF version of Rick Rude, and that's kind of the one that I remember, and that's that music is so kind of it for me that I, I thought, you know, this is undoubtedly a really catchy song, but I also found it, and it's maybe a... I was going to say a similar, similar thing with WCW one before, that they tended to go quite generic. They tend, and this isn't generic at all, but this, to me, is a bit cheesy. And, and, and that's the other way they seem to go. And especially at this time period, they seem to really want to have lyrics that were kind of very clearly related to the wrestler, but almost a little bit too on the nose for me, which would work for some people, obviously. But, I'd yeah, just, just not for me personally. I mean, again, good song, but there are better ones for me. Yeah, the lyrics are definitely on the nose. You know, they have all the references and character beats in there. The chiseled body, the girls going crazy, 
the bad boy attitude of stealing girls and breaking hearts. He's bold, he's cocky, he struts like a king. You've got the robe reference in there, you've got the Rude Awakening reference in there. All that just bravado and machismo and attitude all right there in the song. So, you know, is it some uh, deep, nuanced character study? No, of course not. It's very obvious and on the nose. But I think when the song is this good, it doesn't matter. Um, And besides, you know, the Slam Jam album, the entire album, every song is on the nose and obvious. You know, Man Called Sting is the most, you know, obvious Sting theme of all time. Uh, The Natural, Johnny B. Bad, uh, those songs were all written to be as recognizable and distinguishable and, and detailed as possible for those wrestlers. And some of those songs are definitely better than others, I think, but to me, this is one of the great ones. So I give it two thumbs up all the way, Liam. Yeah, it's a strange um, sort of sea change almost, because like at the end of the 80s, it seemed to be, well, particularly in the WWF, there was, um, there was you didn't really tend to have as many, I mean, as many songs with lyrics, obviously you had like Real American and so that, but like the songs tended to be music kind of orientated. And then here, you, as you said, you have the whole album where every single one has lyrics and all the lyrics are related to the wrestlers and it's kind of um i don't know if it was just an attitude change or a, 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 maybe it was a possibly even a marketing thing like it's just an easier sell perhaps to sort of have that sort of music um but yeah it was um it's, it's a weird it's a weird time for me with Rude's career generally because i i said i didn't follow wcw at this time necessarily and i kind of forget almost that he exists past the dangerous alliance which is really silly because he has a really long tail in terms of like what he gets involved in. Um, you know, in my head, almost like the war games happens, the Dangerous Alliance loses, they they, they disband. Um, I've seen very little of this error, um, Rick Rude, to be fair, and it's something I feel like I probably should um, should fix sometime. Mm. And what's amazing too is that, like with Smooth Operator, it's kind of playing against the standard heel theme type, which is typically something that's you know kind of dark or heavy or dour, something like that. This is light. It's poppy. It's fun. It's a good time. Compare this to other heel themes on the same album, like Mr. Bang Bang or Cactus Jack or the Jake the Snake theme, which are your more you know standard hard rock songs. This stands out for sure in that context, Liam. Yeah, I was wondering. If he's, it's one of those weird things to say it, but almost like Rick Rude is always kind of a cool heel and a heel that you know, as much as you wanted to hate him. He was, he was, I say, easy to like. He was someone you could like, and you know, you could be impressed by someone. You could look at him and be like, "Oh, actually, you know what? Fair play. You know, he is ripped, and he can wrestle, and he can back up what he's saying." So possibly, maybe that's playing into that. The idea that it is, it's not designed to get under your skin in the same way that perhaps Smooth Operator right at the start was, um, because yeah, it's um, he he was he was the heel you kind of loved to hate as much as anything else. Yeah, um, I just wish I knew who the singer was, because I've tried looking around, and any credits I find for the album, they don't list who she is. Um, there is actually footage out there of, like, behind the scenes making the album, where um, it's her in the studio singing the song. I believe on Twitter, it's uh, the Wrestling Collector at WCollector87. Um, and it's amazing, but I-, I just have no idea who she is. So... On the slim chance she's listening, uh, ma'am, if you're out there, let us know who you are, please. (laughs) So uh, in May of 94, Rude is wrestling Sting in Japan. And uh, during the match, Sting gives Rude a suicide dive. And the ring was on a raised platform. So when Sting landed on Rude, Rude's back landed right on the edge of that platform. And he finished the match, but it just completely messed up his back. And um, that was it for him as a wrestler. He retired from the ring after that. And he was only 35 years old, too. So it's just, it's one of those freak accidents where it's like one bad landing and all of a sudden, 
you're done, Liam. It's, it's pretty rough. Yeah, it's, it reminds me a little bit. Um, it's very similar to, in some ways, to how Shawn Michaels got injured um, his first time when he had to retire. Um, just that kind of catching something on the edge of something. It, sh- it shows how dangerous wrestling, I mean, sort of obviously dangerous wrestling is. Um, but the fact that, you know, just a, a bad fall. And it was quite uh, inconspicuous. Like, it was quite... Um, it wasn't like a big kind of like, oh my god, he's you know messed up a move and he's clearly injured himself. It was just you know a landing and it landed. He landed badly and and that was it. Yeah, and it's not like he was you know Manabu Nakanishi or Hanma, and it was like the end was near anyway. No, he was still in great shape and condition as a wrestler. He was thirty five. You know, again, he was thirty five years old. That's that's prime wrestling years. Um, but all it took was one bump and he was done for. So. He left wrestling for three years and came back in early 97, not in the WWF or WCW, but rather a promotion called ECW. He started showing up in a mask going after Shane Douglas. Um, Again, though, despite the mask, it was pretty obvious to know who it was, uh, given that uh, Minnesota accent of his. Um, But he eventually revealed himself at Barely Legal and uh, basically became a non-wrestler in the company, commentator, enforcer, that sort of thing. I think he came out once to The Stripper, the actual song by David Rose. Uh, But then for the rest of his ECW run, he came out to this song. It's by Harry Slash and the Slash Tones featuring Francine on vocals. This is the ECW version of The Stripper. Simply ravishing. If Simply Ravishing was the peak of Rick Rude themes, uh, this might be the nadir. Uh, If I could describe this song in one word, it would be uh, disgusting, uh, because this is a pretty gross-sounding song. Not because of the content, because, you know, Francine does the vocals with Harry Slash, and they're not saying anything, like, crass or explicit, but just the production quality and Harry Slash's raspy vocals. He's the one, yeah, he's the one. It's not a pretty song at all. It's like a song from a daytime strip club, Liam. It's it's pretty gross. Yeah, you said about describing it in a word. I, I described it in a sound. It was oof. Um, yeah, it wasn't very good. I, I, I hated every second of it, to be fair. Um, as you said, the, vo- the voiceovers in particular and, and Harry, uh, like Harry Slash's part, I mean, Considering you're going, I guess, still for sexy and kind of uh, impressive to look at and all those things and raunchy, um, his his vocals really aren't that. Um, they, they, they are actively a deterrent, I would argue. If I can play devil's advocate, though, uh, first of all, it's the stripper, which has been part of Rude's character in the past. So it's at least keeping in line with that. And it's definitely keeping in line with the spirit of ECW, because ECW should not have the nice clean, safe production. It should be gritty and grimy and rough. It should be DIY. 
just like ECW was as a whole. So I can't call it an objectively good song by any stretch, but it does fit ECW and it does fit Rick Rude. Um, certainly this part of his career because uh, Rick Rude and ECW was um, a little bit naughtier and uh, raunchier than normal. Uh, there's a clip of him where he picks up Francine and he's holding her upside down with his face right in her ass crack for like 30 seconds, which nowadays, ah, a tad problematic, I'd say. But you know what? That was ECW, Liam. It was wild. Yeah, I did sort of make a note that it was, it was very ECW to basically rip off a song wholesale. Like they, they had, um, you know, they didn't tend to worry too, worry too much about like uh, licensing rights as a back. Obviously, had like people like Sandman coming down to end Sandman. But I do remember there being um, a CD released, if I remember rightly, of music. And it was a lot of those songs that they were using re-recorded generally by Harry Slash and, and other people. Um, so, yeah, it, it did feel very them to sort of take the, the WWF kind of song and make it dirtier, make it kind of grime, grimier in, in ways. But, yeah, I mean, it you can sort of support that in some ways, but it just did not work for me at all. But I guess, again, he's a, he's a heel and, and you're, not, you're supposed to dislike him in some ways. So maybe, again, they're going for that thing of, like, rather than giving something that kind of people can enjoy and like, perhaps... They're, they're trying to emphasize the, the the heelish nature of him, you know, uh, to give them their due, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Well, I believe initially he was a face in ECW, going after Shane Douglas. Oh yeah, of course. Um, yeah, sorry, <laughs> but but then I think he would turn heel and join Shane Douglas. So it's kind of like that, I guess. Um, I did find though in my research for this podcast, uh, I did find a clip of Francine on some show talking about making this song with Harry Slash, and according to her. She recorded it at like 3 a.m. And, you know, she admits she wasn't a singer, but they let her do like a like a slow talk. He's simply ravishing. His name's Rick Rude, which, you know, is a fine job by her, I guess, Liam. Yeah, she, she she's the best part of the song by, by far. Like, her, yeah, her, her, yeah, she almost like if it was much more her and much less him, uh, we'd be fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in August of 97, uh, Rude makes his return to the WWF to join Shawn Michaels, Triple H, and China, forming the original lineup of D-Generation X. Um, of course, at this time, he wasn't using his old WWF striptease themes because he wasn't a stripper anymore. Um, he was the insurance policy of DX with a metal briefcase and a suit. So a vast departure from his regular gimmick, um, as was his theme song which was the DX theme by Jim Johnston, Are You Ready? Are you ready? Yeah, you think you can tell us what to do? You think you can tell us what to wear? You think that you're better? Well, you better get ready. Bow to the masters. Break it down! And, you know, as strange as it is to see Rick Rude in ECW of all places, Rick Rude in DX is not that far off, Liam. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's not a massive, massive departure necessarily. Although it's interesting, obviously, yeah, as you said, he's at the point in his career where he's kind of like the insurance policy, so he's, you know, he's all suited and not quite, yeah, he hasn't quite, he's not quite portraying the sort of same Rick Rude 
you know, canonically that we maybe expect. Um, it's interesting though, because it's, it's, it, to me, it's, it's one of the best themes that is associated with him. But I, I so, I so loosely remember him being part of DX because even though the first DX was probably, it's probably the best one when it comes to like being kind of interesting and, and, and engaging. My kind of remember it, memories of DX come when Triple H took over and they kind of expanded, and that was kind of the, the, the time that I was most paying attention to. So I won't say I forget that Rude was there, but it's just funny that he, he's a very even though he was obviously a big deal when it came to sort of jumping between WWF and WCW at that time, like he, yeah, he was a small part of that in my head, it seems. Yeah, he was only there for like a few months, and by the end of the year, he was already gone. So it is, I think, easy to forget that he was even in the groove at all, because he wasn't there for that long. Um, and, you know, so much of the focus and historical narrative nowadays has been on like Shawn Michaels and Triple H and China. X-Pac, the New Age Outlaws, that, you know, Rude's become kind of like a lost member of DX in a way. Um, but again, he wasn't meant to be the main focus. He was meant to be the insurance policy, a, a backup guy. So I don't really blame people either for forgetting about him in DX. Um, and speaking of stables, uh, you mentioned this, Liam, as we uh, wrap up the episode here with the, the tail end of Rude's career. He had one of the most famous moments of his career around this time period, where he showed up on Raw and Nitro on the same night, November 17th, 1997, because, you know, back in those days, Raw was still being taped. It wasn't live every week, but Nitro was. So Rude was on the taped Raw on the same night that he jumped to WCW and showed up on Nitro Live, which coined the term pulling a Rick Rude when someone's on two shows on the same night. So towards the end, was he as prominent a character as he was when he was still wrestling? No, but he still managed to carve a bit of history by being on both shows, Liam. Yeah, I sort of, uh, as I said, I sort of suggested earlier, like I almost forget kind of that, you know, sort of 93, 94 and then onwards happens with Rude. And actually, you know, as you said, one of the biggest things you could argue in terms of uh, of his career is the the time that he showed up on both shows at the same time. Um, it possibly speaks, uh, maybe it's a bit harsh, it probably speaks to his value uh, for the company that they were they didn't have him sort of more tightly contracted or something along those lines. Like he wouldn't, you, know, you wouldn't have had Shawn Michaels doing the same thing. You wouldn't have had like Triple H doing the same thing. Um, it, you know, possibly, you know, it was shocking, but they probably didn't particularly care that much that Rude was the person who did it. If, if you catch my drift. Yeah. It's definitely a sign of the times, I think, because nowadays I can't even imagine WWE letting someone just go ahead and do that again. <laughs> so um, Reminds me a little bit. Um, I don't know if you're a football fan, like a soccer fan, I guess. Um, but there was a, a thing called the Bosman ruling, which basically was that when your contract ran out, you could be uh, negotiated with without a transfer fee. And Bosman himself wasn't a particularly big name footballer. But what he then created was that lots of big name footballers were then going to other uh, clubs um, for no transfer fee. So almost like rude going along and doing that. Whilst I'm not saying he wasn't a big deal, he was a big deal, but like it opened the door perhaps for other big moves to happen along the way as the uh, Monday Night War kind of continued. Right, right. And like many wrestlers who jumped from WWF to WCW, uh, Rude joined the NWO. Uh, he was like a manager for Kurt Hennig. And uh, of course, he used the NWO theme, Rock House, by Frank Shelley. <laughs>
So like with the second WWF run, Rude not using his prior WCW themes. But again, like with DX Rick Rude, he's not the US champion or international champion or even a wrestler anymore. He's just part of the NWO. He's part of that collective. So no shock that he just used the NWO theme here, Liam. Yeah, I mean, again, a bit like the uh, the DX theme, like it's one of the best themes that's attached to him in, in some ways. Like it's a great theme, but he is so tangentially kind of involved in it in some ways that it's kind of yeah it's, 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 it's like i forget a little bit or not forget but I, I wouldn't necessarily associate the music with him because it's the music of the nwo and he you know he whilst by no means the most egregious choice like he is a sign of the bloat that would happen within that um yeah, as they kind of took on everyone and you know the cleaner and the caretaker yeah and um he was there until april of 99 uh, that's when he left wcw and uh, sadly, I mean, just a few weeks later, he died. He died of heart failure at the age of 40, which is just, oh, it's it's so sad. Especially since, like I said, he was, by all accounts, just a good guy, a family man, good to his friends, a real-life badass. And to lose someone that young is just, it's, it's tragic. And unfortunately, not an isolated incident either. Because, I mean, the amount of wrestlers who have died in their late 30s and 40s and 50s of heart failure is just so high. It shouldn't be, but, you know, given the lifestyle that so many of those guys had, whether it was the travel or the wear and tear or the drugs, the alcohol, whatever, we've had to deal with these premature deaths in wrestling just way too often, Liam, and it sucks. Yeah, I think I read somewhere that he was in training to to return actually at this point as well. Like, um, uh, yeah, obviously he'd had the serious injury, but I guess you're looking at sort of six years removed from that and he possibly was at the point where he he could maybe go for like one last sort of twilight run but yeah as you said it's it's, it's the wear and tear it's the i mean it's hard not to talk about rude without sort of suggesting that perhaps he was you know doing things to his body that he probably shouldn't have been doing um to make maintain that physique um as he was you know working as well um and and you know it just it, it spoke to you know he came up at a time when the physique was everything. It was a big deal to be a guy who was, you know, big and physically imposing and ripped. And he wasn't, to me, I, I, I'd be interested to see what he was like. I don't know, maybe, maybe when he was younger, maybe like he was he doesn't look naturally big like a Hogan, say, who was already, you know, however big he was. He looked like someone who did have to work out and did have to do the things to make himself bigger. Um, and yeah, it's, it's the lifestyle he chose and ultimately seemingly, you know, caught up with him at the end. Yeah, I think I read that he did do steroids, but he was also like a crazy workout guy too. Like he was rigorous in the gym. So it was like a combination of both, how he got and maintained that that body, which is no big shock, I think. But um, And as far as the comeback goes, I mean, it's pro wrestling. Guys retire and come back all the time. Look at Edge, look at Shawn Michaels. So you do wonder, you know, if he did come back, what could have been with Rick Rude? Maybe he wouldn't have had a super long run or been a top guy or whatever, I don't know, but you think of all that experience and all that knowledge and what he could have done with the younger generation. I mean, it's just, it's awful to think what was lost with him, Liam. Well, he ended up in the NWO, like you said, but uh, another example of someone who had a similar career path was um, was Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig, because he, 
he retired due to injury, of course, uh, and then got to the point where he was able to to, to get step back in the ring. Um, so, you know, it's, it is a shame because, you know, as you said, sort of 35 is when he retired, which is no age at all. 40 to die is no age at all. And he, you know, there are you know wrestlers who are, I mean, using the examples before, like people like Edge and that, who are wrestling way into their 40s now and way into their 50s in certain places. So, you know, it's, it's I'm not saying he'd, uh, as you said, not saying he'd have gone on to be necessarily, you know, back to his best but he'd have been able to offer something in terms of you know sticking sticking in a tag team with someone who's maybe a rookie or or, or learning and then you know the sort of the the knowledge he had would be would be uh, invaluable really yeah um i think if there is a silver lining though it's that despite dying so young and having what is relatively speaking a short in-ring career compared to most others um he still managed to you know have a really memorable career and a memorable run and really forge an enduring and beloved character that is looked back on to this day just so fondly. And um, he had some pretty good entrance themes too, I'd say. So uh, you know what, Rick Rude, he was gone too soon, but he left one hell of a mark, Liam. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I try not to be controversial about his in-ring work, but there is a, there is a there is a, an argument that's made sometimes on, online that suggests that actually, if you look back at his work, his work was was good, but it wasn't great. But he he is perceived as a great wrestler. Primarily, I would argue, because of the look, the gimmick, and the music. Like, it's it, it kind of, it's like you said at the start, it's that pushing someone onto that next level. Like, his work was, you know, definitely more than serviceable in the ring, but it was that sort of, he carried himself like a superstar, and they made him look like a superstar wherever he went, whether it was in WWF, uh, WCW, um, and everywhere else he, he ended up, basically. Right. Well, I mean, if Bret Hart says that you're a great technical wrestler... That says a lot, I think. <laughs> was he the best of all time? No, I don't think so. But if you get plaudits for your wrestling from like Brett or Ricky Steamboat or whatever, then you're pretty damn good, I think. So, <laughs> um, by the way, I recommend people check out on Twitter at Rick Rude Sells. It's an account dedicated solely to Rick Rude selling atomic drops and Manhattan drops. And it's hysterical. I mean, he sells it like his balls exploded, and he has this giant, just pain look on his face, and he's hobbling around and showing the crowd. It's very funny, Liam. At Rick Root sells. Yeah, it's it's one I've, I've I do follow, I believe, and it's a it's the reason the internet was created to share things like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of Music of the Mad. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, Liam, thank you so much for being here. I know we had some scheduling snafus early on in the process, but we got it done, and it was a lot of fun. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Any plugs you want to give? Go right ahead. Um, so you can find me at Twitter, at uh, TV Time Limit. Um, and also I write for Voices Wrestling. So I've been doing uh, the Wrestling Classic, which is looking at the uh, Jeff Baldron's um, top 180 80s matches um, that he put in the Observer in 1989, if I remember rightly. Um, and also I've been writing about Eddie Gilbert, um, looking at his career, because he was someone I was quite interested in that I'd never really followed when I was younger. Um, I've written some some books on Kindle. So therefore, if you want to go to Amazon, have a look. Uh, the main one I would plug now is uh, Bigger, Better, Badder, uh, the road to WrestleMania 3, which basically was me looking from WrestleMania 2, seeing where the WWF were then, and sort of basically monthly and sort of by feud and storyline, um, covering the year and just sort of seeing how they went from WrestleMania 2, which is a bit of a letdown, to WrestleMania 3, which was, you know, the phenom that it was. Cool, cool. And uh, Music of the Mat is, of course, part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Check out all the great podcasts on there at VoicesOfWrestling.com. Follow the show on Twitter at Music of the Mat. 
Follow me on Twitter at Andrew T. Rich. If you want to discuss this episode or other topics, you can do so at the VOW Discord. That's VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Discord. If you want to donate to the show, you can do that. Just go to VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Donate and click the big Donate button beneath the name Music of the Mat. If you donate, hey, thanks so much. You're awesome. And of course, rate, review, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other places. Liam, thank you again, and I'll see you around. Cheers for having me. All right, for Liam Byrne, I'm Andrew Rich, and I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys. Music of the Mat is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders.